And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. It's Straight Outta Cobham, a show all about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. On this episode, frustration against Burnley as missed chances mean missed opportunity to go five points clear. Hudson Odoi skips England duty. It's a big week for Chelsea women as the Champions League returns, and we round up the rest of the Blues news. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad free on The Athletic, this is Straight Outta Cobham. Monday in various ways then listener Chelsea left lamenting missed opportunities on Saturday but hey it's not so bad being top of the league ahead of the final international break of the year is it Uh, also thanks West Ham later Flo Lloyd Hughes will join us to talk CFCW but for now please welcome the Athletics Dominic Fifield good morning Matt good morning Tom and Sam Parkins back with us too hi Sam hi Matt Uh, let's get rolling with Saturday's draw then I liked how we played today, like the intensity, the quality, uh, the commitment from the whole group. We had uh, big chances to, to, to win this game by two, three goals. This can happen in football. We don't want it to happen, but uh, it can happen when it happens. Uh, yeah, it's, it's very disappointing, of course, because we are all very competitive. But uh, yeah, there's no other way than accepting it and, and, and pick the positive. There's a lot of positive to take. Chelsea won, Burnley won at Stamford Bridge. The Blues had 70% possession and 25 shots at goal, but only Kai Havertz's first half header went in and that meant that sub Mate Vidra was able to pinch a point for the visitors late on. Uh, Sam on Thursday asked if you were concerned that Chelsea had so much possession and so many shots against Malmo but only scored one goal. We said then it didn't really matter. Uh, this was a bit of a roosterthon for you and Thomas Tuchel there. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Uh, I still wouldn't be overly concerned that said wouldn't it have been nice to have maybe Tammy Abraham at the club or dare I say it uh Batshuayi or someone like that to come in for this game but I felt that the system worked really well in the first half I think that the outlet the avenue for Chelsea to get opportunities was always going to be the two wide players and I felt that having a narrow front three you know those kind of elusive players in Barkley and Havertz who float about and don't play up against the centre-halves. I thought it worked pretty well. And, you know, if it wasn't for some good goalkeeping and some wayward finishing in the first half, particularly from the defenders with those headers, I thought uh, Christensen and Rudiger probably should have scored. You know, a 2-0 cushion at half-time against Burnley, there would only have been one outcome. So, yes, you could say they missed Lukaku, clearly. Probably would have been a different outcome. But I just felt that it was it was chances that went begging on another day you win that game 3-0 or 4-0 Dom in your post-match piece for The Athletic you quote Thomas Tuchel saying he was super happy with the performance if not the result and and the metrics that that you listed in the piece kind of bear that out as well don't they it was just one of those days you could call it yeah he 
had been handed the the data immediately after the game. I can only assume that was that that came in from one of his video analysts uh, on site because um, he he said that he had evidence, he had proof that that the performance was actually one of the the better displays of the season, certainly in an attacking sense. And yeah, the, the data did back it up. I mean. 54 touches, I think it was, in the opposition box, which is considerably more than they've managed in any other Premier League game this season. The previous best was 40. Uh, then you chuck in the uh, the shots, 25. That was the, the most they'd had. There's, a lot of those were blocked, but yeah, that's the most they've had in a Premier League match as well. Um, I suppose, yeah, you can argue, and and a lot of people did, and Sam's touched upon it there, that, that throw Lukaku into that team and surely he sticks one of those away because what they lacked was, if anything, was a a natural finisher. Um, you might also counter that by by wondering whether they would have created quite as many chances had Lukaku been in that front line. I th- thought that the fact that it was so fluent and fluid in that front three and w- with, with Barkley sort of in that number 10 position as well, it contributed to the number of opportunities that they, they gleaned and the number of times they actually got into the Burnley box. I don't know whether... I mean, Lukaku's been a bit static. That's been the, that's been the argument with a lot of people. He's he's not been quite as on on the same wavelength as a lot of the the other attacking players so far to date. Uh, that will come in time. Um, but look, I'm sure he would have put one of them away, and that that would have been the two goal cushion that that Chelsea required. But yeah, he 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 was happy, and he can see a bigger picture. And I think a sense of perspective is actually quite useful at this at this stage yes you can be frustrated that you haven't won a game that you should have won but you know arguably they they shouldn't have won at Brentford at the start of this seven match sequence um between international windows and he he even acknowledged that you know, that they were lucky to get a clean sheet thanks largely to Mendy's brilliance that afternoon and and the, on this occasion Burnley roused themselves to to convert one of the few few opportunities they did actually have in the course of the game um you know, the, the the draw looks a lot better in the wake of West Ham's victory over Liverpool, it has to be said. Shame for Ross Barkley, Sam, that he skied that opportunity with his, his last kick of the game because he was pretty impressive other than that on his first league start since the end of 2019-20 for Chelsea. Yeah, I thought the, the position suited him uh, down to the ground, really. And he had a couple of poor first touches at the, the, the start of the game where he gave the ball away, but I thought as the first half wore on, he was he, he was excellent, had that one brilliant um, curling effort with his right foot. And yeah, just disappointing for him that he didn't take that opportunity. I have to put that down to fatigue because I think it was hudson Doyle rolled it perfectly along the deck to him. It didn't skip up or anything and he made a complete hash of it. So it would have been you know tremendous for, for him to get a goal. And I think him... And Ruben Loftus-Cheek, I'd put them in the same category, deserve enormous credit for obviously training every day at a good tempo, trying to get themselves in the matchday squad uh, when it looked like both of them were surplus to requirements. So no, I thought there were some really good signs from him. And um, yeah, I, I liked the position. I, I felt when Chelsea had to defend in the first half, the... Areas where Havertz and Barkley were positioning themselves in particular meant that on the counter-attack because you're playing against Burnley who, when they do get well set defensively, they're difficult to break down. But I felt when Chelsea did break in the first half, you know, those two were imperative in that. And um, yeah, he can be he can be really pleased and, you know, obviously on another day he would have had a goal. I know Simon's written about this for a piece for The Athletic that's going out earlier this week, but I was going to ask Sam... 
if you're Chelsea, you're high up in the hierarchy at Chelsea, and a bid comes in for Ross Barkley in January from say, let's let's pluck a club out the air, Newcastle. Do you um, accept it? Oh, uh, I think there's probably people in front of him, isn't there? There's probably enough cover there, so you'd you'd have to consider it if it was a good offer. Um, that that said, if he's given one or two more opportunities and the level of his performance is as good as it was on Saturday with a goal and an assist thrown into the mix, maybe goals and assists, then they've got a huge decision to make. But I think when everyone's fit, you know, Pulisic, Ziyech, um, Werner, when he comes back in, obviously they're slightly different players that can play, you know, different roles. But I think he's probably still far enough down the peck in order for them to consider, you know, recouping some of that money for him. So... That would be my answer. But I think today, yeah, I think on reflection to what has been a difficult first few months of the season for him, he should be really pleased. Yeah, January might be a good time to get some money for him too. He's out of contract in June 2023. Uh, Dom, some concerning quotes from Thomas Tuchel regarding Christian Pulisic uh, post-match. Back, but not pain-free, if injury-free, supposedly. Yeah, so this this is stemming from the ankle injury that he sustained with the the United States team, I think against Honduras in September. And that's obviously kept him out, the ankle problem, um, until the, the Malmo game, just now when he played 16 minutes as a substitute, came on for the last five minutes. It probably would have been about 15 minutes on the on the pitch on, on Saturday, but Chelsea just couldn't get him on the pitch and Burnley equalised in the period that he was waiting to come on. Um, he didn't really have much of an impact when he did come on either. He looked understandably ring rusty. Um, but yeah, so Tuchel... Tuchel spoke about him post-match and, and yeah, admitted that he's still in pain. He's he's still suffering discomfort from that ankle problem. Um, and he is going off now for international duty. He's been picked by Greg Berhalter and the and the US team um, for critical World Cup qualifiers against Mexico and, and Jamaica. And on the one hand, Tuchel's looking at it thinking, well, a bit of game time in his legs might do him some good in the same way it might do with N'Golo Conte some good as well. But... He wants them to be used responsibly. He wants to make, he wants he wants to ensure that the emotion of a massive game against Mexico, and we shouldn't underestimate how big that is, um, that, that doesn't out, sort of um, influence him into playing maybe more than he should. Uh, he's clearly at a certain stage in his recovery from that from that ankle injury and and building up his match fitness that maybe you know playing two qualifying fixtures within a few days of each other. Might be pushing it a bit too far for a player who's, you know, whose whose body clearly is has been suffering of late. So, I think that there is a wariness to it, and, the, and the, yeah, I mean, Tuchel admitted he was frightened. He was he was he's frightened of, of what might happen on on this uh, international break with with some of his players who aren't maybe in the best state of fitness, um, and what might happen to them over the over the course of the next fortnight. He wants to see he wants to see them used responsibly so that they come back and, and hit the ground running when they're back at Chelsea. So Pulisic's off on international duty, Sam. Callum Hudson-Odoi is not. Turned 21 over the weekend and for the second time this season he's turned down a call to the England under-21 squad so he can focus on Chelsea. What do you make of that? I haven't got too much of a problem with it, to be honest. Um, yeah, I think... You know, there's been situations in the past where players have wanted a extended summer break or something like that and have not answered the call to their country. I don't think you can question his attitude here because he's he's wanting to focus on his club and become a regular there. And then I'm sure things will work itself out on the international 
stage. And on the face of it, there's five or six players in front of him right now. And when you look at the the type of games that England have got as well this week, you know, a great opportunity to to get into that squad and and produce and you maybe get a goal. So for him to not be included in the in the first team group, I understand it. It's two or three years since his his bow for uh, the, the the first team. Difficult, I would say, uh, mentally to get your head around going back into the twenty ones. Yes, um, but if his focus is on on Chelsea and impressing Thomas Tuchel. I've not got an issue with it at all. I think it's different if he says he doesn't want to play for the senior side, of course, because he's fifth, sixth in line, but he's not saying that. So I think you have to look at every situation on his merit and we have to, you know, back, you know, whatever him and his representatives are saying right now. Yeah, let's play for the England senior team in November 2019. Difficult to tell, really, Don, with Gareth Southgate, but I wonder if he's more likely to get back in the England senior team by playing well for Chelsea's first team than he is for the England under-21s. See, that would be my instinct. That that's that tends to be how it appears to work. But that Southgate was quoted directly from the squad announcement day saying that, that playing in the 21s would have given them an opportunity to see him firsthand and sort of have him within... I want to say within the building. I mean, I don't know whether whether they are all going to be based up at St George's Park over the course of this these two weeks. Um, but he he implied that it would have been more useful for Hudson Odoi's senior aspirations if he made himself available for the twenty ones. I'm I'm with Sam on this one to be honest. I think it must be very difficult for for Cullen Hudson Odoi to accept that he's still considered to be a twenty ones player when he's when he's represented the the seniors I think three times. Um, I was a bit confused by some of the suggestions out there that he might be being courted by Ghana because I'm pretty sure those those caps were competitive. That he's he's basically pinned his allegiance to England now. Um, but yeah, I mean it's it's an awkward situation. But you know, if 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 the seniors have fully fit options and and generally speaking they do, um, I mean that he's he's resting some players who who are ahead of. Hudson Adoy in the pecking order, effectively for the senior team. So it just doesn't ring comfortable with me, to be honest. Um, for um, in, in terms of in terms of, sort of calling Hudson Adoy out on it, but I think I think it's an acceptance now, and it have to be an acceptance within Hudson Adoy that he that he is so far down that pecking order now. I mean, by not coming up to the under twenty ones, he's effectively ensuring that he will remain. Sixth, seventh, eighth choice, whatever, um, and it would take something fairly freakish in terms of injuries and suspensions ahead of him for him ever to get a look in in the senior setup. Now, I'm glad you made that point about Ghana, um, and yeah, I've just double checked it. He, his three appearances for England all came in qualifiers for the Euros, so he can't switch now, can he? They're they're competitive internationals. Sam, you and I were in the uh, in the commentary box together up at the top of the East Stand, and and the purring that you were doing over Reese James was clear for anybody who was tuning in. Yeah, I don't think I probably articulated it very well, but um, it was almost like a professional player coming back and joining in with his mates on a Sunday <laughs> at one stage in the second half. Which, when you consider he's playing with some of the the best players currently in the world, is astonishing. Um, I thought he was Chelsea's biggest threat going forward. There was that period in the in the second half where it was kind of Roy the Rover stuff. Every second ball he seemed to be winning and then, you know, conjuring an opportunity by uh, bombing down the right-hand side. 
I thought it was an exceptional performance. The numbers kind of back it up. Most touches, you know, most deliveries uh, into the box, most key passes, joint most key passes. I thought he was sensational. And, you know, thinking back to when we first saw him, Matt, 15, 16 years of age or whatever, I think the the concern with him was probably his athleticism. I don't see that being an issue now. I think he's an outstanding defender. It's probably complacency, the one thing that would hold him back if, you know, he just dwells on the ball too much or um, tries too many intricate passes from a defensive position. But, I mean, he is at an incredible level right now. And, you know, you talk about the battle for the, the right back position with England or the right wing back. I mean, the only thing stopping him, surpassing where Trent Alexander uh, has been is probably the amount of goals and assists. And if he can conjure that this season, there's no doubt in my mind that he's probably a superior player already, given what he can do defensively. I, I thought it was a it was a masterclass, best player on the pitch by some distance. I know this is another brazen plug for something that we did last week, but but um, one of our data analysts, Mark Carey, did a, a fascinating look at the numbers behind Chilwell and, and James towards the end of last week, which is on the site now. One thing that that, that looked at, I mean, I mean, this is probably me showing my age and my uh, my lack of tactical nows, but the uh, when you think of wing-backs, when I think of wing-backs, I think of, of, of effectively wingers who are supplementing as full-backs when they're, when they're defending, but they're, they're pinned to the touchline. Where actually, Chilwell and James are doing a lot of their damage, inflicting a lot of the damage on the opposition in a in the what they call the half space in that sort of inner channel just just inside between the sort of I don't know the six yard box and the eighteen yard box um, up and down the pitch and it's almost the, the the wide players in front of them are, are, are pulling wide sometimes and and that the combinations that they they're coming up with a lot of the a lot of the um, the wounding of opponents is being inflicted in that in that area and that's why James and and Chilwell are finding themselves in so many good scoring areas let's say. I think it's is it four goals for for James and three for Chilwell so far, which is pretty ph- phenomenal when you when you think about it. I mean, that's I think going into that that game, the uh, I think it's now eight eight goals contributed by wing backs this season because Marcus Alonso scored the free kick against Palace in the in the first game of the season uh, out of twenty seven scored in the Premier League, which is pretty incredible um, and really reflects the the attacking onus that's placed upon those wing backs in Tuchel's system. And I can't highlight enough how much I would have enjoyed playing with with him. I mean, the deliveries that he puts in, the, the ball for Havertz is just incredible. And it was interesting because it's quite basic analysis, but Charlie Taylor had just about done enough to that point in the game at stopping Reese James from getting a shot away or getting the deliveries from those positions. He had to check out quite a lot. And it was the first time they were a little bit laboured getting to him. And having watched it back today, I think Ben Mean made the point when the ball ended up in the net. You cannot allow him to put that in because it's a goal. I mean, Havertz just had to get his head on the ball and it's going to flash past the goalkeeper. So it was the first time Burnley had switched off and, and Reese James produces that. But it's indefendable and it must be a dream to play alongside. Yeah, he was outstanding. Uh, right, that was Burnley then. Tougher of games coming up after the break for Chelsea. Leicester away in the Premier League, then Brentford in the League Cup quarterfinal before Juventus in that big Champions League game. It does get easier after that, though, with Manchester United coming to Stamford Bridge. Well, the weekend wasn't a total bust Chelsea-wise. The women's team got a win. We'll talk about that next. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. Ericsson into G. Well, that's a brilliant ball. There's no flag here on Jesse Fleming, who's tapped it away. And just her second WSL goal, and didn't she take it well? Midway through the first half, Chelsea have the lead from an unusual source. Great ball. On Saturday, Emma Hayes' team got the better of Aston Villa, a 1-0 win at the Bank Stadium in Walsall. Jessie Fleming got the goal, maintaining her excellent start to the season and giving Chelsea a fourth win a row in all competitions. Flo Lloyd-Hughes is here to tell us more about what's been happening with Chelsea's women's team of late. It was an important win, that, Flo, given that Arsenal are flying. The gap's still three points at the top of the table, but, but Arsenal got a pretty significant goal difference advantage. So maybe Chelsea a little bit rueful that they didn't take more of the many, many chances that they made against Villa? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think there's two ways to look at it, really. I think the Chelsea side of maybe two, three seasons ago could have ended a game like that in nil-nil. But with the attacking talent they have now, they've really got to put more past those sorts of teams, especially with the number of chances they have. And when you look at how Arsenal played against Aston Villa, where they were similarly frustrated, but came away with a 4-0 win, that is going to be the difference at the end of the season. And Chelsea need to find those moments a little bit more. I, I still think... You kind of touched on the intro to see Jesse Fleming playing like she is, uh, is brilliant and, and her getting more starting opportunities because she's kind of been a bit of a sort of rotation squad player since she arrived. But I think this season is going to be a bit of her breakthrough. She's already got her first goal for Chelsea and then added a, another one at the weekend. She somehow got a Ballon d'Or nomination just for kind of sticking away a few penalties. But, you know, that's kind of the strange side of women's football at the moment. But she's looking great. Um, and I think we're still yet to really see the best of Kirby and Kerr this season. Penilla Hard has been brilliant, um, but she's struggled uh, picking up an injury in the international break. Lauren James now finally breaking through as well. So, I mean, it's all in reality going to come down to that return game against Chelsea, against Arsenal, sorry, at Kings Meadow, where it's kind of the title decider, to be honest. So that and the FA Cup final on the 5th of December, two brilliant games. Um, we'll get to the to the Champions League shortly, but the next league game is at Man City on Sunday. Um, for anybody who's not been following the WSL as closely this season, tell us why that's not as terror-inspiring a fixture as, as it maybe would have been in the past. 
Yeah, it's, it's a bit disappointing, actually, because next weekend is Women's Football Weekend, which a bit like non-league weekend is and something the FA's created to kind of bring a lot of eyes on women's football during men's international break. They've been doing it for a number of years now. I think it's probably like the third or fourth time they've done it. Uh, and actually, when you look at the fixture lists, maybe a year a year ago, I guess, that, that City-Chelsea game would have been like the marquee match of Women's Football Weekend. But actually, now you just don't really see City being able to compete with Chelsea at all this season and probably maybe for a couple of years coming up. They've got such bad injury issues, kind of half their squad's wiped out. Wouldn't say Gareth Taylor's doing a phenomenal job either with what he's got. Um, they got smashed by Chelsea in the last season's FA Cup semi-final last weekend and City have really struggled um, and they've already lost to Chelsea once this season. So I think I think it's going to be a pretty one-sided affair. I think they're going to struggle to compete um, in that game and um, I think it should be a pretty easy win for, for Emma Hayes. And yeah, it's just frustrating because I think all in all, when you look at that weekend, Spurs are playing Arsenal, which yes is a North London derby, but Spurs have never managed to beat Arsenal and that will probably be a pretty big win as well. And then there aren't a lot of other interesting fixtures across the weekend. So yeah, it's a shame really, because you need sort of that one big game to really hook people in, in what is kind of meant to be a kind of a dazzling weekend of women's football. Uh, back in Champions League action on Tuesday, then heading to Switzerland to take on Servette. Currently level on four points at the top of Group 8 with Wolfsburg, but an inferior goal difference. Can't say I know loads about Servette, but this feels like a good opportunity to cut that gap, given they've lost 3-0 and 5-0 in their two games so far. Yeah, definitely. I think I think Emma Hayes will just be seeing this as a, as a way to rack up the goal difference, seeing as Wolfsburg managed to put five past them. I think she'll be, she'll be looking forward to this. And I think... Chelsea struggled in their in their opening Champions League group games. They got that point against Wolfsburg, made some really bad mistakes, but managed to claim a point right at the death and then pushed through against Juventus in a game that I think lots of people were surprised was going to be as tough as it was for Chelsea. So this is a really good opportunity to sort of just build some confidence, just smash in loads of goals uh, and then think about those return legs against Wolfsburg and, and Juve. They're going to get out of the group, it's just um, where where they're going to finish, really. Um, and I think they just still need to build confidence. Their defence still looks shaky. And when it is put under pressure, um, you really do see those weaknesses. Whereas because of the way the WSL is, is at the moment, there's not going to be many games where Chelsea are going to be put under pressure. So you don't really see those moments. But even in that semi-final last weekend against City, actually when City did apply a little bit of pressure, you saw pockets of where Chelsea might get kind of uh, rattled or, or come undone. And I think with so many important games on the horizon, those group games, Champions League, that FA Cup final against Arsenal, they need to still build that confidence, bringing in some new players. Anik Nguyen started again against Villa at the weekend. And if she's going to be perhaps now a, a starter in that back three, they're going to need more time with her. So this is a perfect opportunity just to build lots of confidence. Yeah, Newen came off at half-time on Saturday, didn't she? But Emma Hayes saying that, that that was a precaution. Also hoping to have Penilla Harder back for that. I just wonder, though, might it be worth, given that Chelsea probably going to win this game anyway, giving Harder the chance to, to rest up a bit and not make the trip and, and save her for, for City instead? Yeah, I, th- I mean, Emma Hayes is so mysterious with um, the fitness of players. Um, and there's been a lot of sort of like mind game sub 
or mind game bench appearances. So Marin Mielder, who's still recovering from a long-term injury she picked up in the Conti Cup final in February of this year. It wasn't an ACL, but it was like a, a bad knee injury. She appeared on the bench at Wolfsburg, essentially with no intention of coming on, but it was a sort of just like a mind game. It's like, here she is, she might come on and, and a confidence boost for her. And she took part in the warm up. And so she's obviously close, but she's yet still yet to appear this season. Lauren James against City too. It was a sort of oh, she was never going to play. We just asked if she wanted to come along for the trip. And then with Harder as well, I think in the build-up to the game at the weekend, she sort of said that, or build-up to the City game, sorry, I think she said that she might be fit enough to play. So I think Hayes loves to have a lot of mystery around who's going to play uh, and who's fit. But I, I do think, yeah, given what Chelsea have in their squad and the team they're facing, it might be smarter to give Harder a bit more of a rest with a busy December ahead. And before we let you go, Champions League wise, how's the group stage been received thus far? And it's the first time that it's happened. And other than Barcelona, who stood out over the first couple of rounds of fixtures? Yeah, I think all in all, um, it's gone down really well. I think the coverage is probably the thing that people care most about. Actually, uh, you know, the football is great, but actually being able to watch some Champions League action is kind of a luxury. Um, Rarely you could watch games before the quarterfinals or the semifinals unless one of the home clubs decide to stream it, of which Chelsea did a lot, but not always. You know, A lot of clubs can't afford to do that. Um, so actually just being able to watch games is, is a massive plus. Um, but I do also think, even though there's been some big score lines because the gap in Europe is still quite big, there's also been some brilliant games. I think that 3 all against Wolfsburg probably being the, one of the most entertaining group games uh, of the first couple of rounds. So I think it's just exciting to see the best teams in Europe play each other because you don't get to see that a lot really until the knockout games. And then it's kind of like, oh, well, we're done now. Um, whereas, you know, we're just getting more good quality football, which I think is really important. Um I've been impressed with Wolfsburg um, and Juve, actually. But I think Benfica um, have surprised a lot of people, really kind of punching above their weight in, in a group, a tough group um, as well. So I think people are excited to see what they might be able to achieve. And then Leon have kind of bounced back with some really big wins as well. A lot of people thought, were they going to be able to compete again for the Champions League? But they've certainly shown that they're going to push Barcelona quite hard, I think, this season. Um I mean, maybe be a little bit disappointed in in how Arsenal played against Barcelona, but looking forward to that return fixture, which is going to be at the Emirates as well. So I think it's all it's all building up to being a really exciting uh, next stage. It's predictable. Like you could look at all the groups and say, well, these are probably the two teams that are going to progress because there's quite obviously two better teams in each group. But at the same time, you're you're getting to see those good sides play each other more, which is only a benefit. Uh, Float, pleasure as always. Many thanks. We'll speak to you soon. See you later, guys. Remember, you can watch all of the Women's Champions League games absolutely free via DAZN's YouTube channel. Will that plug convince them to give me some games? No. Uh, we'll react to Savet versus Chelsea on Thursday's part. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Elsewhere in Chelsea news, mixed fortunes for the academy sides in the Dom Derbies this weekend. The under-23s went down 2-1 against Crystal Palace at Kings Meadow. Lewis Baker got the Chelsea goal. Former Blue Jezirin Raksaki, whose younger brother Sam is on Chelsea's books, was amongst the Palace scorers. Uh, I note that Eberichi Eze played in that game as well, which is probably quite heartening for you, Dom. Pretty hard and all round. I think Raksaki's going to be a real player as well, to be honest. He's got a lot of rave reviews within that Palace Academy setup. He came off the bench, didn't he, at Stamford Bridge on the opening day? Yes, he did. I think that was his, that was his Premier League debut because he was on the bench a few times last season but didn't mm. didn't get on the pitch. Um, he's uh, He's got a bright future, a very bright future. Uh, so his brother plays for the under-18s, the Chelsea under-18s. They came out on the right side of a 4-3 thriller against Palace. That means they sit top of the under-18 Premier League South that after Malik Mothersill's winner in the sixth minute of stoppage time. Uh, the under-23s, by the way, poor start to the season for them. Second bottom in PL2 and the bottom two get relegated. So they'll have to find some form post-international break. Right, we're just about done for today. Don, we've mentioned your piece post-Burnley. What else have you got in the pipeline this week, please? Well, I'm hoping to arrange an interview with a with a former Chelsea player who we mentioned on the pod a few weeks back, I'm pretty sure. Do you remember the do you remember Steve Watt? We we it was I think it was in our quiz. It was, it was in a quiz, quiz, yeah. I don't think either of us got it either. Um yeah, so I'm <laughs> trying to get he's a manager of Hythe Town now. Um and I'd like to ask him about what he learnt from Playing under Jose Mourinho and what he's what he's maybe transposing on the Hyde Town players from those experiences, shouting at people and throwing them under the bus in his post match press conferences, possibly if he does them at that level. Uh, on Thursday, we're going to do a mailbag special, given there's no first team action this coming weekend. So send your questions in via Twitter to me at Matt Davis Adams. Don't make them all about transfers, please. The more original and creative, the more likely they are to be read out do join us for that if you can until then many thanks to Flo for joining us earlier to Sam to Dom and to Lucy for putting it all together mainly to you though listener we'll speak to you later in the week until then goodbye The Athletic As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.